you're young. So no. this is a uh, this is yeah. I mean, you're old. Yeah, uh, there you go. But I mean, but I but I enjoy the leaves as, the leaves as well. I know. That's a sign that you are old as well. I also. Hello and welcome to Marginally Significant. My name is Andrew Smith and I'm here with Andrew Monroe. Hello. Twyla Wingrove. Hey. And Chris Holden. Hey. Uh, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about um, applying to uh, um, academic positions, but specifically uh, focusing on what it might take or how you might uh, tailor an um, application to applying to uh, master's granting institutions, because obviously that's what we have uh, the most experience with. Um, but a lot of this is coming out of uh, discussions on Twitter, uh, some of it that was, um, I don't know, prompted by an article uh, that was talking about getting jobs at selective um, R1 institutions and the number of publications that they actually had, and that the average number was 16 pubs, with eight of them being... Um, first authored publications to get a job. Um, that's slightly more than I had when I got this job. <laughs> I think that's still more than I have currently. <laughs> I think if, if you add the four of us together, maybe we're, you know, we would have been there um, beforehand. I don't know. I'd, I might, I might like be close to 16 at this point, but I, I don't have 16 presently, I think. Yeah. I think I had three when I applied for this job. And two were first author. Oh, hey, that percentage-wise, that's pretty good, though. So you're beating, yeah. you're beating them percentage-wise, because theirs hey. was only 50%. So just focus on that. <laughs> well, I already have the job now, so I'm not sure. You don't need to, to sell it, yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it was it, that was that's high, but I mean, we were talking about beforehand that 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 was the you know selective R one institutions. That's not all R ones, and so that was like the top of the top. And so, not surprisingly, they're going to have a ridiculously high number. And plus, yeah, elite things are elite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and most of those people obviously were many years out of PhD and all that sort of stuff. And um, a number of them already had you know faculty positions and whatnot. So, so yeah, so that's a bit different. Uh, but uh, I you know before we get into kind of how to uh, apply um, and what to kind of focus on. I was wondering um, just very quickly um, if you guys to kind of like talk about um, did you plan on applying to or like want to work at a master's granting institution? Was that the goal or did you kind of just apply broadly, happen to get an offer here and that worked out? Hooray. So what was the, the kind of idea about applying here? I applied pretty broadly. Um, so I applied from everything ranging from Ivy League institutions to R1s, R2s, uh, D2s. No, no, no. Sorry. That's <laughs> a, my, my Star Wars joke. Uh, yeah. R2, uh, D2. Yeah. I get it. Uh, ha, ha. Hey. Uh, <laughs> as the universe groans in pain. Uh, but no, no. I, I applied really broadly. Uh, and, I, and I was actually just uh, emailing back and forth with with one of my mentors and uh, as, as tenure is coming up and sort of mentioned like I, I don't know that when I was applying for jobs that like I would have predicted I, in fact like I know like I would not have predicted that I would like fall in love with like being at app when I was applying to jobs but like turns out I, I really like it here 
Yay. Yeah, I had a similar path. I don't think I explicitly looked for something that we would consider like, what are we, like a M1 or whatever our classification is, master's granting. But I wanted a balance between teaching and research. Um, but I still applied as broadly as I could, all the way from like slacks and community colleges up to R1s, Ivy Leagues, international positions. I just I just threw the, the broadest net I could. Um, but like you, I'm really happy that I, I wound up here. I applied broadly as well, but maybe not quite as broadly. So I did not apply to, or at least I was very picky about applying to slacks. Um, so I, I really considered fit a lot more than I did for slacks because I knew that a 4-4 teaching load wasn't something that appealed to me. Um, but I did still apply to some that I thought would be really lovely. Um, and so I mostly focused on master's granting R2s and R1s. Yeah, that's kind of the, more similar to me. I probably broadly-ish, but yeah, it, you know, with anything with a 4-4 load, I was a little bit hesitant on. But a lot of the um, liberal arts colleges had 3-3 loads anyway. Um, and um, and then I didn't apply to some of the, you know, top, top ones that I was just like, there's just no reason. I mean, even though it doesn't cost really very much to apply to the programs, it's just I didn't even think there unlike was Unlike grad chance. school. Yeah, unlike grad That's <laughs> yeah. the thing is there's a difference. Yeah. yeah. It still cost a hell of a lot for me because they were we were still mailing applications and yeah. writing. Oh, back yeah. in the dark ages. Back in the yes. dark ages, a long, long time ago. Yeah, and because I'm me, I was like overnighting them because I was getting <laughs> them late. Oh, shit, and dude. so it was ridiculous. Yeah, and those can weigh a lot. And yes. Yeah. It was not. I, I did not. I mean, to some extent, you can't plan because it's just it was hard and stressful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, no, no one puts deadlines in any place where you could easily find them or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, planning planning's really hard. <laughs> I went back and looked at some of the materials though, and I was like. I think I had repressed the memory of how much time it had taken to do it. And like I was looking at, like I had different folders for every single one of the institutions and how each one was slightly different because they require things in slightly different ways. And, and yeah, I had a, a master list and it had um, whether they were um, email, mail, or electronic submissions. And at that point they were all like different. And yeah, it was obnoxious. App State was um, a mail at that point. Wow. Was a point, you know? yeah. I think I was like, everything was electronic by the time. Yeah. I was on the market, but yeah. I, I still do like every now and then, like when the sort of job season starts, like I hop on site job wiki to like, mm-hmm. Hey, like what, what does this look like this yeah. year? And then I immediately like get a little bit of, of, of PTSD when I do <laughs> yeah. it. Like, I just have a, a like a, a, this spike in anxiety. I'm like, I'm not applying to any jobs. I'm not looking yeah. for any jobs, but simply like being in that environment again makes me anxious. Yeah. Yeah, it was like a full-time job. It yeah, pretty it really much. Was. I mean, it took that amount of time. Yeah. And let's see, yeah. So, you were you did a postdoc. I'm pointing at Monroe. They can't see that. Um, so Monroe, you did a postdoc. Uh, yeah, I guess technically two, but um mm, two special. Well, or or not employable. <laughs> Take your pick. <laughs> uh but yeah, one one was one was on like some soft money that that I had left over from a grant. So I, I did like one true postdoc where like okay. I applied to a postdoc and, and got it. Okay. Uh, yeah. So okay. Yeah. So you're doing that while yeah doing all the job stuff. Yeah. yeah. I did not do a postdoc. Yeah. I came straight from PhD. Yeah. So were you trying? When did you finish your um, dissertation? Was that like around the same time, or did you were you applying? 
before you had finished everything? I was applying while I was working on my dissertation. So I actually hadn't finished my dissertation when I was interviewing. I was still Mm -hmm. finishing it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, you did visiting. uh, Yeah, I did apply to postdocs, didn't get any offers, Mm -hmm. um, but went straight into a visiting position. Mm in terms of being finished, I was mostly finished, but was still ABD um, for most of my interviews. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't finish until finish the dissertation until um, the summer, and so I had already interviewed and gotten the job and was, yeah. you know, frantically finishing <laughs> during the summer. So that was interesting. It's good motivation though, because if I didn't, then it would be like a huge pay decrease. Yeah. So you know, yeah. yeah. My my fiance told me that she wouldn't marry me until Ooh. I defended my dissertation. Yeah. Uh, it actually got brought up at my defense. Like my advisor, you know, doing the announcement, okay, Andrew's going to be defending. And he's like, a little bit is uh, weighing on this because if Andrew fails, uh, he has a wedding scheduled for October. But if he fails this, like, got to call that wedding off. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure. Isn't that like the apocryphal story of why Zimbardo stopped the prison experiment? His girlfriend said she would break up with him. Yeah, yeah. that is yeah. that is yeah. the story at least. Yeah. Um, yeah, my my fiance. At least she didn't threaten to to break up with right, me, but right. she's like, yeah, we're not getting married unless you defend your your dissertation. Like, I'm tired of you being a grad student. Yeah, that's more positive motivation. Yeah, yeah. 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 I like it. All right. So getting into the just basics of like applying and whatnot, um, like where I mean, we kind of already talked about it, but, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a, I don't know, discussion about how broadly to apply, because so much of the um, the judgments on who they're actually going to, to accept and even, you know, interview um, is dependent upon fit, right? And so how well do you fit not only just within the university, but with what exactly they're looking for? And, you know, I applied to a bunch of places that, you know, that's like social neuroscience and that's not at all me, but I tried to sell myself as that. And so, um, you know, how important is that or, or what would be the recommendation? Would you apply broadly knowing that fit is so important now or is it still, you know, is it worth it just to do more targeted and, and not apply to, you know, 87 programs and just apply to the ones that you know that you would be the best fit at? So I have two opinions that will sound like they contradict one another. Um, so on the one hand, no, I, I think fit is actually something that that's really, really important. Um, having now been on the other side of the equation, having been on, on the uh, hiring committee side of the equation, you really are looking for someone who is fitting some set of, of criteria that, that you want for your department uh, or that, that you, you have a particular set of needs, a particular research area that you want filled. And so I think a fit really matters. On the other side, I think that oftentimes the announcements that we all read about what a place is looking for do a moderate to bad job describing like what it is that the program is looking for. So I think fit really matters, but I think fit also isn't communicated well in most ads. So I would advocate for like applying pretty broadly because even though fit is probably the strongest predictor of whether or not you will get an offer fit the the sort of signal conveyed in job ads is near zero yeah i'd echo a lot of that and i think the the motivations are different so on the people looking for candidates they want to consider fit if you're a candidate 
you just want a job, <laughs> right? So it makes sense to apply as broadly as possible and maybe hope that those things sort out. And I think that's also why we do, you know, interviews, be it phone, Skype, or in person. You can kind of see how, how people fit. But, um, I mean, you wouldn't want to stretch yourself so far as, like, jumping across disciplines or if you know you don't want a 4-4 load, I wouldn't necessarily recommend doing that. But within your own parameters, as apply broadly. Yeah, I'd agree with that. If there are deal breakers, then don't waste your time. But beyond that, I agree that the ads are so general that it's really hard to evaluate whether you fit besides domain. And so you might as well just go for it. The other thing is, and I think some of us discovered that here, like you might not see yourself at an inst- at a particular institution, but then when you interview, you actually discover that you like, if you get to the interview, you actually discover that you like it. And so that's another reason not to be too narrow in focus. Yeah, I would agree with that, that, I mean, you don't, it's hard to predict what's a good fit, but it's also hard to predict what you're going to like anyway. And so people are pretty bad at doing that. And you could probably learn to live with a lot of things that you didn't think you would really like. I do think the marginal cost of like an application matters though. So, I mean, in general, like you put together your materials, some people, so there's um, some variation on how much people tailor their cover letters. And so if you're a person who like doesn't tailor your cover letter, uh, that you have like sort of a standard cover and, and you send that out, then the marginal cost of an additional application is is zero so you should apply as broadly as you are comfortable applying if you do tailor then i think you should take into account like what is the marginal cost of of that extra application and i think you should tailor i don't think you should tailor no i don't really think that yeah no yeah i would no i would say that if you can you should tailor you know like it it, meaning there's sometimes you just don't know a lot about what they're looking for how you would actually tailor it to a particular um, institution i mean i had a few um kind of you know here were the was my um, cover letter for teaching focused and here's my cover letter for research focused but i mean there are a lot of places that i just didn't know much more about it in order to tailor more than that yeah, I think if you can, so, and, and I'm only talking about the the cover letter in this case, um, but I think if you can genuinely tailor the letter, like if you know something about the institution or you know something about the individuals there, or you have some type of personal connection, like, yeah, tailor. Uh, but otherwise, I... I, I didn't tailor any of my cover letters. I just like, I'm Andrew. I do this work. Um, you know, check out my CV for more. And I mean, it's, I guess, like survivor's bias, but like, I got a job. <laughs> <laughs> So therefore, it must have been because you did not tailor. But but I also know, I I mean, I know some people who have like written like really detailed Mm -hmm. cover letters. And I think that does go, I think it it, it really helps people like get in the door. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I think it increases the likelihood of sort of like moving up the stack. But... I, I, but again, like I go back to the, like the marginal cost, like that takes a lot of yes. work. And if you're mm-hmm. applying to like 50 jobs and trying to tailor 50 letters, I don't think that's worth it. And I think sometimes it requires having details. I mean, and you, you can dig around on the website yeah. and, and pull up faculty profiles and see how each faculty member describes themselves and, and use that in your tailoring. But usually, as you were saying, like they're not very detailed. And sometimes if they are particularly detailed, that can be a red flag, right? Because it's usually an internal candidate. They're writing it in such a way that they're, they're boxing themselves in for that internal candidate. Um, but to go back to tailoring, like... I tailored mine a little bit, but not extensively. And I think that's a a happy medium. Yeah. And I mean, 
who knows what the effects of that are but it, i i hope it worked <laughs> i mean i'm i'm a pretty big nihilist about all of this <laughs> like i i feel like in the job application pool you throw your name into the lottery you hope for the best mm. but like the amount of signal to noise is is really small like it is almost all random error from like my my like nihilistic point of view i'm not saying like you can't predict anything like you know number of pubs quality of, well uh, of pubs like those things matter teaching experience like that matters but i mean you don't know what fit is the the place might not be communicating what they think fit is uh there's it's all just noise it's noise all the way down all is darkness and doom i agree that you can't necessarily know what fit is for that particular position but i tailored it to the department and the university so for every application i read the university's mission statement and i read if the department had a mission statement i read that and then i tried to pull little nuggets to make it apparent that i knew what the vibe was and like half of it was bullshit right like i'm just pulling stuff that i mean it's half of a strategic plan and a mission (laughs) statement is bullshit and so it's not i'm i'm not i'm aware (laughs) that it is just selling yourself but i wanted every advantage possible but do you think but you're assuming that that's an advantage i mean don't you think like disadvantage well but don't you think like people people can detect bullshit and they're like oh yeah you pulled this from our mission statement like what no i think oh they took the time to read our mission statement okay yeah, I mean, yeah, having been on search committees, I would probably agree with that, that when I, if I saw somebody and they had a little bit of knowledge, I'd be like, oh, well, at least they spent the time and effort to kind of look at things up. Interesting. I mean, that would get into things, yeah, that we might talk about later. Yeah, okay. But, I was yeah. going to say, like, I... Yeah. I, I'm not, I guess it wouldn't ding anyone, but it also would have like near zero value to me. I think it also sometimes has value to me thinking about being on job searches because there are sometimes applications that we get where the people are really strong and we think, would they come here at all? And I think if they took the time to bother to tailor (laughs) their letter, then that's a little bit more of a sign that they'd actually come here. And yet here I am. (laughs) Yes, here you are. Despite our best efforts, here you are. (laughs) Well, going back to like pulling stuff from the mission statement, if it does nothing else, it makes you seem similar to them, right? So then they have a more favorable impression of you that might get you in the door um and i don't know if there's data on this but anecdotally speaking like a lot of decisions i think now that i've been on the other side of this come down to what happens when that person's here mm-hmm. right do we see them as being in line with our department so anything that could get you through the door to that in-person interview mm-hmm. even if it is like not totally an honest signal is probably good <laughs> So speaking about uh, getting your foot in the door, who are the types of people that we're looking for uh, at a master's granting institution? Like, obviously, you know, we were in the beginning talking about, you know, 16 pubs and eight first authored and whatnot. And that's not the type of person necessarily that we're looking for here. But what who are we looking for? Who, who would do well here? Some of our recent hires have been in that boat, though. Yeah. So I feel like just I in general. stop that. I <laughs> We should get rid of all those people. Yeah. <laughs> people tend to be jerks. <laughs> I was one of those. <laughs> My statement stands. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so, I mean, I, I guess the reason I said that was because I feel like even here, the standards are creeping up. Mm-hmm. And so... Thanks, like, M-Turk. I can't, yeah, exactly. I can't necessarily... When I'm on search committees, I don't apply the same standard that was applied to me when I was, yeah. I was looking for a job. Sucks to be the guys <laughs> right yeah. 
that doesn't really answer the question. So they, they need to be better than we were. Yep. <laughs> so there you go. They need to. I think I think most search committees try to here try to balance teaching and research, um, or at least when looking at someone's record. And so I think we're hesitant if someone hasn't had any teaching experience, which is not impossible in a grad program. You can go through a grad program and have zero teaching experience. And so we look for people who know what they're getting into. (laughs) Um, And then... We still value a research record, not 16 pubs, except for crazy people. Yeah. No, I mean, I would agree. That's a good, like, um, advice to anybody who would be open to, you know, coming to a master's granting institution of making sure to, in grad school to seek out those teaching opportunities. Because I was kind of in that boat where I had to, you know, more or less, like, seek out some of those opportunities. I didn't probably wouldn't have had to do much of it if I didn't seek it out. But I knew that this was kind of the, you know, level that I was going to be most interested in. So for me, that helped a lot, I think, in terms of getting my foot in the door here, because I think that would have been a problem if I didn't have any of that experience. Yeah, I I think that's really good advice. I mean, some PhD programs explicitly won't allow their graduate students to teach the idea that, you know, you want undergrads to be taught by uh, the the professors. Like, my my PhD was one of those. I was not allowed to be the the sole um, uh, instructor of, of a class. And so I was really lucky that it just happened to be the norm for, like, my my cohort that we went and we we did this like external uh teaching seminar where where um you sort of you develop a, a teaching statement you develop um a number of other sort of products but um yeah i think that was something where i didn't realize as a phd student that lack of teaching experience would be something that could really ding me mm-hmm. um and and so i think as a like if one is a current phd student um i i think having like trying to get like teach a class over the summer have some evidence that you you can uh be the sole instructor of a class is something that's extremely beneficial uh for for applying to uh, an institution like ours a master's granting institution yeah the other thing i would add in too is that being able to show that you can involve students in your research is going to be really important at a at a university like us so uh, i don't think that it would be i mean most ways that it's, you can do that, but being able to highlight how students can be involved in the research would be something that they would want to see, that we would want to see. Is there a way to do that as a grad student? Like how, if you've been a, a grad student in a lab, how would you signal that you involve undergrads? Yeah, that's a good question. So I would say less on kind of what you've done, but more on your research statements. And when you're talking about, you know, if, if you get a, an interview, if you, um, whether it's a Skype interview or, or actual job interview um, and you're, you're on campus, um, being able to kind of identify of like, yes, wanting to run a lab involving students, here's the projects that they can be involved with and, and at every different level whether it's undergrads and grad students not just you know focusing on grad students because a lot of times that tends to be the focus mm-hmm. so being able to, to kind of uh, um, establish that but I would agree in terms of uh, what a PhD student would do while at, in grad school that would be a little bit more challenging yeah I have seen people list that though like I've uh, I've mentored these undergraduate students in the same way that an advisor lists their mentees uh, and I think another way you can signal it is through your advisor right and a lot of advisors will list, you know, here's my current graduate students, here's my postdocs, and here's the undergrads that are in my lab. And they could also bring that up in the, mm-hmm. the letter that they write for you. Yeah, I didn't. Did you guys um, mentor students as a... 
I, had, I only had a couple, but I, I did. I listed okay. the the undergrads if I was on an honors thesis yeah. or as a PhD student or as a as a yeah, as a PhD student. I was on a master's committee, um, so I, I listed those things where where that was relevant because uh, I thought in that case I can demonstrate like I, I have I have advised or at least been in a role where I'm a little bit familiar with some of these things yeah no I could I could see that being um, beneficial definitely no that's I just didn't I didn't have that experience was I was a PhD student my advisor apparently didn't trust me to <laughs> advise <laughs> honor students or something I don't know maybe my advisor was just trying to offload it who knows <laughs> that's true who knows? Yeah. yeah I didn't have that experience either but there were other labs in our department that were that did work that way where the there would be sort of multiple projects in the lab that were led by a grad student who then led a team of undergrads. Mm-hmm. And so others had the opportunity. I just made it up. <laughs> you just make things up. There we go. That's that's a good good <laughs> advice from Twyla. Make things up to put on your application materials. Well, like go. someone got a job at Princeton uh, making stuff up and then, you know, then then had it revoked uh, ultimately. <laughs> but like initially, initially got a job, like making up his CV, then like making up some data. So yes. You know, might it might get you a job, but then good you know, job. No, I mean, oh no, no, he he lost the job. Like he went out into outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, uh, and like the Schadenfreude that I, I felt when he was kicked out, like was was strong. Nice. Is there anything else that you can think of? I'm trying to think of recommendations to to for people. Like, what would you emphasize in like your teaching statement or research statement um, that would be more tailored for a master's granting institution? Um, I don't know. Nothing's really coming to mind because a lot of it. I mean, well, Monroe, we already know that you say don't tailor anything anyway. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm trying to think of the other kind of advice, but nothing's really coming to my mind there. I would think uh, like anything that ties you to the community like so maybe university service if you can as a a graduate student um, or you know involvement in something at the university level be it like a a club or something like that Um, I think that's something that at least from my experience seems to be valued at institutions like ours so if you if you had that that might give you a leg up yeah, where I thought you were going to go with that was, like, ties you to the community, like, kind of addresses, Twilight, like you were saying, the problem of would they actually come here? Because I think that's a, something that's kind of unique to um, our level of institution where other places, you know, they can be pretty confident or at least more confident than we can that if they uh, um, offer somebody the job, they're probably going to go there. Um, whereas for us, we kind of have to think about, like, I don't know, would they even come here? And I think sometimes people factor that in way too much. I'm kind of like... Well, I mean, if they're applying, they probably want to come here, but that's not a guarantee. But anyway, regardless, something that you could signal that would suggest that you actually would like to come here. So like a tie to the community, like if you visited Boone and you really enjoyed your experience working that in somehow, or, um, you know, if you've uh, like for me, I did my undergrad and master's uh, um, degree or master's program um, at a, obviously a place that's very similar to App State. And I think that that helped just because it gave me a little bit of kind of institutional knowledge of the way that these types of programs are run and everything. So so anything that kind of ties you to the program there, I think, can be a good sell. Yeah, I think I think the important thing in all this is authenticity, though. So if you really do, so you can tell a, a story like, 
you know, I, I, uh, so for me, like I went to, uh, I went to like a, a school that's really very similar to App State in terms of like size. It was a master's granting institution. Like I did my undergrad there. I did my master's degree there. And then I, I went on for, uh, to a PhD from there. So I think if you can tell a story that is actually authentically true, I think that there's a benefit to that. But I, I would be careful about like tailoring for tailoring's sake. Um, and maybe that's just me. Maybe like I, I have like a fairly low tolerance for bullshit. And so like when people write in like all of the canned lines that you see in a teaching statement uh, about, you know, they value undergraduates being critical thinkers. I'm like, yes, of course we all do. That 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 tells me nothing about anything. Uh, but I but I think, you know, if you can tell authentic stories when you tailor things. I think that is worthwhile. So I agree. But one thing uh, uh, aside, I went back and looked at my teaching statements um, when I applied here. Do you value, stu- value students' critical I, thinking? I mentioned two things. One of them was critical thinking. Any guesses as to what the other thing that I uh, do in my classes? Active involvement. Done. Critical <laughs> thinking and active learning. Those were the two. I was like, of course, that's what I said. Yeah, I mean, I just, that's what we, I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure if I went back and read mine, I bet you anything you yeah. want to bet, I said exactly the same thing. Yeah. Uh, that was I was I don't know I don't even know what I'd say differently now but still it was not I was not impressed when I reread that I wouldn't have hired me <laughs> long long pause so should we like try and sell our university or universities like ours in terms of people that might be applying? Yeah, that's a good, I, I meant to actually talk about that in the beginning. That's a good point. So like one, I was trying to figure, or I was thinking about like, why would people be open to uh, um, applying to, or, you know, wanting to work at a master's granting institution. And so definitely I think that we could, we could address that now. But the one thing I wanted to um, mention was just because of numbers. Um, so I was looking at the, there are 266, at least according to the Carnegie uh, classification, 266 PhD programs and 685 master's programs. So a lot of times people just don't even realize that there are that many like good quality programs to apply to. I guess not all 685 are good quality, <laughs> um, but ours is, of course. Um, but there, yeah, I mean, there are just so many programs beyond just like the typical like, oh, R1, R2 university um, that, that people don't even realize. So just base rates, I think that's a, a huge reason why people should apply to, to master's granting institutions or App State. Yeah, just a point of clarification, is that 685 independent of the 266 PhD granting programs? Correct. 685 standalone standalone master's institutions. Yeah, and so there are 350 what they classified as large, 196 medium, and 139 small um, uh, institutions. And that's, again, independent of the um, PhD programs. Okay, that's all I had. So when I applied to master's programs, one of the stereotypes I had was that I wouldn't be able to accomplish as much research as I wanted to. And now I realize that I can. (laughs) So like one reason I like programs, I like comprehensive universities is because I do like the balance of responsibilities that we have. Um, And I think... I mean, I don't know. I probably would grow to like wherever I am, but um, but that appeals to me. The the I mean the the well, I'll just stop there. Yeah, I mean, I think 
uh, one reason why so why to apply to a place like like App State is I think you actually have a more reasonable sort of work life balance. I think that the fact that our university values teaching on par, I, I would say, uh, with with research means that um, you you don't need to like be publishing at such a breakneck clip that you can relax a little bit and I would say like maybe like slow down and maybe even do better research um, but like I don't know I don't know Twyla if I fully agree that with the there are no research costs to that like I I think I might have agreed like in my first two years when I was I was younger and I was sprier but like as I've become old and wizened in, in, in my years that I'm, I'm starting to like feel the fact like teaching a 3-3 means that that eats a lot of time and then you add in uh, advising students master students honor students uh, it, it does constrain the types of research that you can do I, I think that it would from my perspective I don't think that it would be like fully honest to say like yeah you know you can do everything that you could do at an R1 uh, here Agreed. I didn't mean to imply that I could do the same amount of research that I could in an R1, just that I'm actually satisfied doing this amount at this pace. Okay. So. You still find research satisfaction. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And I I mean, I like that there's less pressure so I can take my time to design a study and execute it and not worry about the fact that that might be my only pub in a year. Yeah. Yeah, that I think is really valuable. The idea that the sort of research expectations are a bit more relaxed and so you can you can take a bit more time to to get something done but i think there are also on the flip side of that um there are teaching or even like administrative things that happen at a uh, non-research intensive institution that slow the pace of research or might make doing research more challenging to push back on that a little bit, Twyla, when you were describing, uh, I guess, like the the ability to do research, I took that as there were still resources available to help you in that process, right? So, like, we have a grants office. There's a lot of opportunities for us to seek funding. So, in terms of support and, like, logistical support, I feel like what we have is, is equal. And, I mean, I hope that's true for all master's institutions as well. Maybe not. Um, but... It gives you that foundation upon which you can build whatever type of research program you can do or want to do. Um, so I guess it kind of challenges that idea that you can't do research at a university like ours. Yeah, yeah. I want to be clear. I, I'm not saying like you can't do research. I, I think that you know there's a there's a finite number of hours in the week, and so spending more time teaching means that there are fewer times uh, or fewer uh, fewer hours to to be able to like devote to research opportunities. But uh, not that like you. Can't can't do do research yeah yeah no i would agree with that because to teach well is hard and that takes a lot of time and i enjoy teaching and so it's you know i want to spend that time to teach well but i agree that then i noticed well obviously then that takes me away from uh publishing and and that's okay at a place like this and that's fine and that's a choice that i'm making but i would agree that it you wouldn't want to have the mindset of like oh well clearly you know if you know if you're at a if you're only interested at publishing at a certain level well then that might 
make the choice of maybe you shouldn't apply as broadly. My guess is kind of like Twyla, what you were saying, where you could probably learn to really appreciate and feel satisfied in a lot of different places that, you know, in a, in a um, PhD program, when you're a grad student, you really don't know a whole lot of what are you going to be mm-hmm. interested in? What, you know, how much are you going to like teaching when you're teaching your own classes? How much are you going to like doing research year after year after year? It's really hard to know. And so, you know, I would still maybe even say that suggests applying more broadly yeah. as well. Yeah. And we've, we've talked about it in this podcast before, you know, so what is it that gets us out of bed in the morning? And it turns out, I mean, so again, I, I would not have predicted this coming out of my PhD program, but it turns out like what really motivates me are my interactions with my students. Those are the most rewarding parts of my job. I don't think I would have predicted that coming out of my PhD program. So I, I think that as a uh, postdoc PhD student, we may not be good predictors of the things that are going to bring us happiness. Uh, the other thing is, I, so as someone who's like tenure hearing is uh, what, five days from today, um, I'll say that um, talking with some of my friends who are at either R1s or R2s, like my stress level approaching tenure uh, versus their stress level as they approach tenure is markedly different. Like I'm, I'm still like tweaking out every now and then, but but the the amount and and the duration and uh, of of stress that I feel is much much lower than than my colleagues, and I so I, I think that that's actually quite the boon for a program like ours. You can do uh, a lot of the research that you want to do. You get to have a, a diverse range of, of activities, including interacting with like some really brilliant, talented students. Uh, you can have an opportunity to actually like, slow down and do like really good, precise work rather than like worrying about, can I puke out four papers in a year? And then when you come up on tenure, uh, that type of balanced approach is going to get you tenure. Well, we'll find out. Find out for our next podcast whether or not I got tenure. I know how I'm voting. I can't vote. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but like that kind of approach actually like is is likely we'll put it that way to to get you tenure hopefully. Uh, and so I, I think that there's there's a real benefit to programs that have this more sort of balanced approach like ours. I don't I, I mean I'm I'm really proud of our program. Yeah, I think it is telling that we don't have a whole lot of. Um, turnover, I guess you would say. There's not a lot of people who come here and then leave, which I would assume... We is... disappear those people. <laughs> exactly. Nobody There's, leaves. No, yeah. Strike them from our memories. We don't even know. Yeah. So, no, I yeah, I think that probably does say something about the you know quality of life and the, the, that you're able to have at a place like this. I, I don't know enough about other programs. I would imagine with master's uh, um, institutions that there's probably a lot more variability across the master's institutions than maybe at PhD institutions maybe they're they're kind of all more like the r1s are going to be all more similar the r2s are going to be similar but i don't know i feel like there might be a lot more variability i feel like you're just demonstrating like in-group heterogeneity out-group homogeneity (laughs) effects right there and and that's why that's those out-group members are all alike that's why i tried to premise it with i don't know a lot about other ones though but i would imagine but i'm still gonna fall prey to the bias well okay i'll say it this way i know a couple and they're very different than app state so if those are representative of some of the others, then there's a lot of variability within MA programs. Maybe there's just as much in PhD programs as well. But Variability in what way? In emphasis and ability to do um, research and focus on research. And so... 
I think that um, we have a pretty good balance where we do focus on research, but also on teaching and um, service, of course. But there are others where even though they, they I don't know, I would say in spirit, they do say that they focus on research, but you actually look at the, the publications that they don't really um, uh, actually publish very much. So the, the, a given faculty member really isn't publishing. They're, you know, yes, they have a few um, undergrad students who are helping them with research, but they're really not doing a whole lot. Um, but that, again, I, I don't know very many. So, so I would just say maybe look into who is publishing. And, and you could obviously look at the, the um, list of the faculty members and, and seeing how many they're, you know, how much they're publishing and so on. I would also imagine a place like App State is going to be different because we have like 32, 34 um, psych faculty members. And so that's got to be bigger than a lot of other programs. So so even though we're kind of speaking for, you know, why you might want to uh, um, apply to a, a master's granting institution or whatever, maybe we're not particularly representative and we have a kind of skewed view there. Yeah, I do think our department size is large. I, I don't have the data, but I would imagine that we are on the larger end. Um, and I, I'm wondering how we compare in terms of research productivity to other comprehensives or ma- master's granting institutions is the way I'm supposed to say it. Um, are we more research intensive? That was kind of my question earlier that I don't know, because that's the thing is like the, the very small few that I uh, um, places that I do know of, we are. But again, I don't think I have a good representation of, you know, how they all are. Yeah, I don't either. So we've talked a bit about um, kind of, you know, who might be interested in applying here and how you might kind of focus your um, application on, a, you know, master's granting institution. But let's say you, we, you know, we get the short list and then we get the phone in, or the, well, not phone interviews anymore, the Skype or Zoom interviews. Um, how did you guys prepare for those? What did you do to make sure you're ready for it? Or did you do anything to prepare for it? You're just like, eh, just sit down, make sure I'm wearing a collared shirt and I'm good. <laughs> Um, I studied all of the faculty members' research profiles, especially the because I think I knew the the three people that I was going to be talking to. So I made sure that I knew uh, what they did, their recent publications, um, and then also like read everything I could possibly find on the departmental webpage. And then I had a beer. <laughs> did you really? I did. I really That's did funny. have a beer. Nice. Like right before you went into the interview? right before, like I, I thought about having a shot, but I wasn't sure how a shot would hit me. Uh-huh. Um, so so about yeah, about five ten minutes prior to to the interview, I I downed a beer, nice. mid strength beer. Um, what was the question again? What did you do? How did we prepare? I didn't always know who the people were. I do remember that being anxiety provoking for me because I felt like I couldn't prepare as well. Um, I had one phone. Well, this was pre Skype. So all of mine were just phone interviews. So I was in my pajamas for every single one. And I had one, at least one where it was the whole committee and they were sort of like wandering in and out during the interview and it really threw me off. I did not do well at that phone interview. Um, 
Um, but then the other ones were a little more standard where it was just two or three people in the room and they clearly had sort of standard questions that they were following. Did you do anything to prepare for it? Like looking at beyond studying? I mean, I studied the faculty for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I had my stock answers for describing my program of research and my goals for the next few years. Um, what kind of classes I would be interested in teaching and, and willing to teach, um, I think that one's actually a really important one. Like not saying like, I'll teach anything that you want me to, but having parameters around these are the classes that you are like willing, being willing to advocate for your preferences, even in the interview. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it, but I definitely had two lists. I had, here's what I want to teach. Here's what I feel like I can teach well. Yeah, that when I prepared for it, it yeah, I didn't do as much. I probably should have done more on learning about the program that I was interviewing to the people I was interviewing with, but I did a lot more to make sure my own answers and thoughts were, you know, fluid. So things like, yeah, what classes would I be um, you know, willing and able to teach? Um, you know, where do I see myself going in the next, you know, five years? My program of research, you know, types of, you know, I don't know, things that I want to be doing. And so, yeah, mine was a lot more kind of self-focused, just making sure that that was like, I don't know, fluid, I guess, when I talked about it so I wasn't stumbling. Mm-hmm. But I looked up on line of like, all right, what are common questions um, that people might ask in a phone interview? And that was actually helpful. I mean, even though some of them um, didn't actually, obviously they didn't ask those questions, but it was just helpful to be thinking about all of the different things that they could do. Uh, But yeah, mine, like Twyla, um, mine was also, it was not a Skype interview. Mine was a phone interview, but I didn't know beforehand who I was going to be talking with. Yeah. I think you actually called me, Smith. I think you gave me a phone interview. I might have. Which makes this weird to talk about, but... (laughs) Um, yeah, I don't think I was, did. I don't. I mean, I was on the no, committee with you, but uh, uh, it wasn't yeah. you. It was. Uh, well, I won't say uh, who yeah. it was, but but it was it was okay. two other people yeah. that were not you. Yeah, I would have voted no. So <laughs> yeah, that's probably you. you yeah. Looked out there. Yeah, and I don't. I don't really remember what I did, even though it wasn't that long ago. But um, you know, some things I've heard people mention that you should do in addition to like studying the faculty pages is. Um, you know, ask questions, like ask questions if if they give you that time of, you know, here's my program of research. Is this something feasible? Like, what are some resources that um, I can use to get this done? Uh, also, questions that signal that you're interested in the program. So do and you- the community, too. Right. Yeah. Right. So you could ask a question along the lines of and I'm just spitballing here, but like. So, you know, if I were teaching these classes, does it fit a need or what are some other needs? What are some possibilities for stuff in the future? Um, and again, I don't remember if I did that. So I'm not saying that I'm, <laughs> I'm all that great. I, I honestly don't remember prepping much beyond looking at the faculty pages. I yeah. think that's the, the first step. Yeah, I think that, I mean, yeah, the, trying to think of, you know, on the committees that I've been on, the search committees I've been on, the times that I've been impressed have been things like that, where it's almost like they imagine themselves having the job and then figuring out what would I need and what things are there or asking the questions of what things would be there if they actually had the job, like they had really put that thought into it. And so that would definitely be something, yeah, that I would recommend people doing of just, you know, imagine you got that job, then what mm-hmm. things would you need to do to get, yeah, your last up and running, the resource that you need, whether it's just space or money or whatever it is. Um, yeah, those have been, that was some of the times that I was impressed that they put that thought into it. 
And I think, Twilight, again, this goes back to what you had said earlier of would they actually come here? Well, if they put the thought in and they could realize how their research program would fit at a place like here, then they probably are pretty motivated and interested in coming here. So, yeah, that's a good one. Good recommendation. What do you think about asking questions about, so, like, what's it like living there? So, I remember during my interview, I I asked a lot of questions about, you know, what do people do uh, for fun? Uh, What do, uh, like, where where do people live? Like, what the schools are like? Things like that. And and I, I did so, like, in part, like, I don't have kids. I didn't have any intention of having kids. But, like, I, I did so in part, like, the, the question about schools, like, signal, like, no, I really am uh, interested in, like, what life would be like there. Um, what do you think about those types of questions? Are, are those accomplishing the same types of things? I've had two reactions, and they're, like, opposite reactions, and I'm not entirely sure why. Yeah. So sometimes it sounds like people are genuinely interested in, like, how could they, you know, really integrate their life here and how that would go and they're really interested. Other times it almost came across of like, what the hell do you guys do in Boone? Mm-hmm. Like, what is there even to like And I know we're, we're, we're kind of sensitive about that here. I, I think that, yeah, I think that's probably more a reflection of me than the person. So that probably would be different at no, different places. I remember on my, my first day of faculty, um, like, orientation uh the the i'm not sure dean or provost who's doing the the orientation was like so if you like big city living if you like you know doing stuff going out to eat like this is you're not you're not going to do well here like explicitly said but she uh or yeah it was a she but if you like knitting and hiking like this is like the home for you and (laughs) those are my two favorite things well then there you are but i remember going like knitting and hiking like that's the that's the frame that you're giving people (laughs) uh, so i'm like yeah I know like we're we're a little sensitive about like what there is because like yeah there is tons of like really amazing hiking there's also like good food and good beer here too Uh, but but I just I was sort of taken aback by that on on our first day I do sometimes feel like we have an inferiority complex both in terms of location but also because we're not an R1 or an R2 we're a comprehensive and so we're constantly like I don't know would they come here and I think maybe we could be a little less worried about that especially Especially considering how competitive the job market is. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, at, you know, um, R1s, they have to worry about, well, the person, the same person who's applying to that one R1 is probably applying to 10 other R1s. If one of them wants them, probably multiple do. So it's not like a guarantee they're going to get them. So. I do. I had the same reaction as you about answer or asking questions about living there. I think to go back to your point, if it sounds authentic, then I think it does accomplish the goal of demonstrating to us that they've thought about like what would happen to me, not just at work, but in my personal life. If I moved to this small town (laughs) in North Carolina. Um, Yes, that's my answer. Yeah, I don't remember if I asked the questions well or not. But again, yeah. here I am. Yeah, yeah. It couldn't have been terrible. Yeah, Put it couldn't, that way. couldn't have been terrible. That's yeah. right. Speaking about terrible things, how about the, what did you do to prepare for the on-campus interview? Or interviews, if you got multiple. I only got one. This was my only on-campus oh, interview, yeah. so I prepped for this one. Um, I so I had um, we were sort of talking about this off here. I think I applied to slightly over fifty places. I got three interviews and I, I got one offer. Um, and my 
prep, I think, got better as I did it. Like, my first interview, one, like, I got the – so uh, the advice, like, have your job talk ready is uh, – like, don't wait to get an interview. That That's really good advice. I think for my first interview, it was right after Thanksgiving. So and we're I, talking on-campus Oh uh, Yeah, sorry. First on-campus interview. I got the call, like, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and they're like, can you be here on Monday after Thanksgiving? And I was like, yes, I can, because I want this job. Um, And and so they're like, my my prep was probably not great because, I mean, academic jobs are important, but like my Thanksgiving is sacred. Uh, So so I still like had my Thanksgiving. I made my pies. Um, But then I got I got better. uh, And it was it was similar to like the phone interview. I did a lot of studying of every single person i made flashcards uh, because I'm, I'm particularly bad with with names uh so i would have a flashcard of like the person's name and their like area of research and their most recent like public like a, a two sentence summary of like their most recent publication but like i i think that's like probably me like nerding out pretty hard on that <laughs> remember i was on your search committee monroe yeah and so we had one of the dinners one night. oh yeah and i have this memory of you getting out of the car and i'm in a different car so we meet in the parking lot you hear my name and then you immediately start talking about one of my pubs and <laughs> my internal reaction was like i'm tired <laughs> i mean i also but thought I was, it was great that yeah. you were prepared I was so eager. you were so eager and i was like okay i have to i have to yeah. I, you gave myself a little internal pep talk <laughs> he, he probably remembered it better than you did you're just like i don't know, I know. it kind of was i was something. like i have to remember what i did for I that know. study yeah it's the flash card right there uh, <laughs> twilight windgrove uh <laughs> yeah it was uh you were well prepped you didn't ask me about my pubs what's up with that i liked her more uh, that's true <laughs> wise choice <laughs> I would also say practice your job talk in front of as many people as you can. I gave, I, I mean, I, it was the same thing. I had a quick turnaround. And so I literally begged faculty in our hallway to come down the hall so I could give a practice talk. And not everyone has that opportunity. They were friendly enough to do it. And it was so helpful. I did end up crying afterwards because I realized I was not even close to done. <laughs> And I was freaking out, but it was tremendous help. Yeah, I practiced my job talk once and it was awful and then just completely revised it and didn't have a chance to practice the whole like completely revised version. So that was like me in the hotel room the day before, just like saying it over and over to the mirror as many times as I as I could. That was yeah, that isn't that was not ideal. Um, But yeah. yeah, practice, practice to multiple audiences. Yeah. I had a similar experience. I, I wrote out my job talk and I was all set to go. And then I, I gave it to actually my former lab because I was a postdoc. Uh, so I gave it to like my, my postdoc lab uh, after I gave it to like my, my former lab. And I just, I ate it on that first one. And I, I got ripped up in, in the questions. But all of that was, uh, and afterward, like I, by the end of that sort of Skype uh, practice talk, I, I'm just, I wanted it to be over. Over so bad but after that i made a lot of revisions so i think you know give a practice like a fully fledged practice talk early realize that like you're likely to get absolutely shredded except that and then and then use that feedback to 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 improve the talk 
Yeah, I, I did the same thing with my job talk. And when I applied here, it was a formal, like traditional job talk. Um, but I had a slightly different experience with my first position because it was more teaching oriented. So they actually have you give a lecture mm-hmm. typically with those, yep. um, which was kind of daunting in some ways because I'm walking to, into a class cold and it's like 10 weeks into the semester and they know the professor and they don't know me. Um, so I had to do a lot to like try and suss out what that class was like and what the environment was like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, some of the same things still apply. Like, So I practiced that lecture. I actually had some SPSS demonstration in that and I made sure like I knew all the different things. Um, it was regression, so I had an explanation as to why we were doing general linear model as opposed to generalized linear model, right? All, all these things. And I think getting down to those level of details, be it for like a traditional job talk or these lectures lectures is super helpful and like getting grilled early on like it helps you with all those questions like you've got typically ready-made or at least practiced uh answers to some of those questions that you'll get from the faculty so i think knowing that that's going to happen and knowing it's going to make you better when it's really time to shine helps that is one mistake i've sometimes seen at job talks here is that the candidates have i guess maybe framed it more for an undergraduate audience. And so they oversimplify some of the concepts or um, don't talk as much about the results and the statistics. And, um, and so I think some pla- some candidates have assumed that we don't want a research-intensive traditional job talk. Mm-hmm. Now, I remember one of the pieces of feedback that, that I got, again, uh, in, the, in the session where I just got shredded was like, um, you know, if it's been 10 minutes and you haven't gotten to data, uh, then, then it's been too long. So, you know, yeah, you want to set up the, the, like the theory and everything else, but like if you've hit the 10 minute mark and you're not talking about your studies, you are taking way too long to, to set up your studies. Yeah. So, I mean, I would agree. Yeah. So I agree, but I, I going back to Twyla, what you were saying, um, definitely research oriented is what we would be looking at here. But the other thing that I would say is that, like, at least my experience, um, it was a pleasant experience giving the job talk. Like, it really wasn't bad. Like, the questions that I got were thoughtful. They weren't trying to, like, trip me up. It was a lot of people who seemed to be, I mean, they must have been paying attention. They were interested in what I was what I was doing. So, so I thought it was actually a pretty, um, I don't know, enjoyable experience. It, it was a lot easier than the practices that I gave. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, not that, 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 that doesn't mean... Like, so then therefore don't practice for it and it'll go smoothly. But that just means that, like, I don't think it's the same. Like, when um, I was at Iowa, there were a few talks there where people were, the questions that they were asking, it seemed like the goal of the question was to just trip up the person or, or kind of try to catch them in something that they might have misspoken about. And I don't think that would have happened here. At least I haven't seen that happen here. And I think as an interviewee, that's a good signal about uh, climate for a department. So I'd say uh, of the three interviews I got, um, two of them, one of them was like actually like super surprising. So I, I had a really good, uh, really enjoyed my interview here. And there's another place where I expected to like, kind of like go into the lion's den and it turned out to be just a really pleasant experience with the, the Q and a, like, um, and I, I remember just being like really taken aback by, by how much I, I had fun talking about the research. And then the third one actually was, was more in the vein that like you talked about where a number of the questions were like questions along the lines of 
let me test and see like what you really know or or I would like to show off how smart I am. Um, and I, I think like if you're an interviewee, you know, you still have to answer those questions and you still have to answer them well. But I think when you the interviews is much for you figuring out if you want to be uh, if you want that to be like your home department, keeping those things in mind, like, would you want to work with or would you want to be in a department where like that type of of zeitgeist might be prevalent? Yeah, what I'm trying to think of the other than so obviously there's a, a lot of emphasis on the job talk because that's something where everybody is going to be going to see you. But I'm trying to think of other recommendations that would be helpful for kind of navigating the whole um, campus interview. Um, I mean, part of it, like it just goes along with the lines of what we were talking about, of just knowledge of the university, the departments, the way that master's institutions are kind of what we're going to emphasize and so on. Um, I don't know if I'm trying to think of other bits of advice that would be useful. I mean, I think there's a lot there. there people have written copiously uh, about about this either online. Um, I think Sanjay Sarvastava has has a really good like what to expect when you're expecting to interview uh, guide that that he wrote up that that was something that I read before I went and uh, interviewed. So I, I think you know the general thing like be pleasant, know who you're talking to, ask questions about other people's research because people love to talk about their own work. Uh, though apparently, if you're asking <laughs> Twyla, Twyla's gonna yeah. resent it over dinner. See, I, and that's one of those. I'm gonna go ahead and say I don't necessarily agree with that. Like, I I kind of, it annoys me when people just, like, try to, like, you know, when it's somebody who's interviewing, and then they just start, like, asking questions of everybody else. And I'm like, no, this is this is your interview. We're trying to figure out, like, what you're doing. Like, I have the job. I want to know what you're going to be doing and why you're going to be good for us and whatnot. And so sometimes it kind of bugs me when they say, like, but what is the most recent project you're working on? I'm like, it doesn't matter. I got the job. I, so, I don't know. Some of that bugs me. Yeah. I mean, again, it's got to be authentic. Like, you, like, you, you you can't just be like, I don't want to talk about my work. Let me talk about your work. Like that, that's gonna, that's not gonna wear well. But I think, you know, where things are natural, like if you can ask, if there's like a natural bridge to ask someone about their work, yeah, people like talking about their stuff. I mean, okay, okay, apparently neither you nor Twyla want to research. No, it's, I like talking about it at certain times. Yeah, not, maybe not over dinner. I would, I think one piece of advice I have is to, have a set of questions that you you purposely ask multiple people. Um, so I've seen interviews where people will literally so like so I've been on the like interviewer side and like do you have any questions about what it's like to live here or anything like that and they'll say no I already asked that and so and automatically I'm sort of put off by that because I'm like well I mean I'm guessing multiple perspectives could be helpful like about departmental culture or work-life balance or teaching load and all of those questions I think be willing to ask multiple people um, because that you're going to get better information there and it ends the conversation (laughs) if you're just like nope tell me the most disliked faculty member (laughs) Uh, don't don't ask that question just to be clear i had a grad student ask me that question yeah i didn't answer Um, you just just pointed (laughs) this guy Um, the other thing that I think I didn't expect when I interviewed here was I had done two interviews before I came here and here was the first place where I had had the group informal meeting thing that that we do 
And so to explain what that is, we literally set aside an hour or maybe two hours, depending on if they're here multiple days or whatever. And um, all the faculty get an email saying the candidate will be in room 204. And we just sort of the faculty just sort of wander in and out (laughs) and sit and chat and introduce themselves and ask questions. It's super informal and and a little disorienting because faculty are coming in and out. And so that I was not prepared for at all. But we don't do like the, the standard model of, you know, you go, you have breakfast, you meet with a bunch of faculty, like you, you have like one-on-one meetings and then you give your job talk and then you have more one-on-one meetings and then you go to dinner and then you like pass out and die a little bit. Um, but instead, like we are, our, our format uh, was you go, you have breakfast and then you have, um, yeah, you, you sort of sit in a room and you get like group interviewed by people uh you give your job talk and then like you sit down with the committee itself and they have a standard set of questions to ask there. Uh, that isn't totally dissimilar from at least like my couple of experiences in the UK where like very similar to the model that we did here, but not know if like, if you don't know that that's the model, like I, I did not do well on my, on my UK interviews cause I, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. I didn't know what to expect. So when I came here and we just did the, like the group thing, I was like, sure, whatever, that's fine. People come in, whatever. So I didn't, I don't know, I didn't find it too off-putting. But again, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't have a good comparison because I didn't do any other interviews. I ended up liking it. I I just didn't, I was surprised, I was caught off guard. And so at first I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. (laughs) And, And then I ended up liking it because so many people are good at having conversations in our department. And so it was just very free flowing and, um, and informative but not stressful yeah I, I remember clamming up on that one i just like shut down and i think it was because i was engaging in too much metacognition i was like thinking about okay i want to ask this question to this person but i don't want to ask it like to this person or like i don't want to like show that i'm asking these multiple questions because i mean it's a good thing to do but it also could be weird um so i just like locked up but i think everybody kind of jumped in and and did a lot to help explain and it was, it was valuable in the end but yeah maybe don't metacognate as much as i did again have a beer all right so you go through the um, interview process and of course you're just going to do the most wonderful job ever and then you get the job and then you take it so that's easy what if you don't get the offer so one of the things that um i am curious about to hear your opinions uh, oh yes oh, i was gonna say one thing after the interview send like brief thank you notes um uh, I, I think that's something that's really easy to overlook and and i i mean i don't think it's gonna like make or break your job necessarily but it is as someone like getting those notes i think is is a really nice thing thing and i'm not sure if it's quite the norm yet so if you didn't do it if it would look bad but but i think it is something that by doing it you leave a positive impression with people yeah i would agree with that i didn't do it and didn't know that i was supposed to and then um afterwards since then i've had you know been on different search committees when they've done it i was like okay that was nice and and trying to um tailor the emails a little bit yep they weren't long they were just a couple sentences but thank you for this and whatever um that was nice and i would imagine and that was relatively uh, um, low cost for the, the applicants, but that was a nice little touch. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. All right. So if you don't get the offer, what, um, how valuable do you think it would be to, um, 
for, you know, if this was like, you know, you really wanted to come to a place like this, would it be better for people to kind of go the postdoc route or better for people to go the visiting professor route? So there are a lot of um, visiting um, uh, uh, assistant professor positions where they're, you know, time limited, typically one, maybe two years. um, And then, um, you know, you're supposed to get out of there and do whatever. Um, Or there could be postdocs. Or is it just either could be good, you just take whatever job you can get. Um, But I've heard kind of conflicting things on on which would be kind of more advantageous for a place like here. Yeah, that's tough. I think either could be good. Um, I think I wouldn't necessarily draw the the distinction between like a teaching position uh, and a and a research oriented position, but rather like a one versus a two year position. Uh, I think a one year taking a one year position means like as soon as you are in the job, you are already applying again, and I think puts you at a at a pretty large disadvantage, both in terms of like your own psychological well being, but also like you won't really have much new to be able to say about yourself a two-year position will give again either teaching or or postdocing will give you a little bit more breathing room to develop maybe like a new research project some publishables to get a few things out the door or like try some new teaching preps uh, and then have something new to say when you go around so i i think i would i would distinguish between like a one-year position and a two or longer year position but but i'm I'm curious so like i i did a postdoc uh after like not getting any offers my very first time on on the job market uh holden you did a visiting position so i mean but we're both here so yeah yeah worked out in the end yeah was yours a two-year mine was a two-year yeah yeah so i was on that one-year timeline where it's like august rolls around and i gotta start prepping again even though i'm prepping all these new classes um so yeah that definitely at times felt like what do i have to say or or what can i uh accomplish there um one thing i wonder about though and i mean this is me coming from the visiting position. I wonder if a postdoc signals that you're more research oriented. And I mean, people can take postdocs for all sorts of reasons mm-hmm. and you can make all sorts of decisions. Once you're in that postdoc, maybe you realize like you don't want that R1 life. Um, but I wonder if committees and maybe, you know, places like us where we say, are they really going to come here? I wonder if some of that's coming from postdocs. Yeah, I haven't had, I mean, just in terms of the people that I've evaluated, I haven't um, thought, well, if they were doing a postdoc now, that means they probably wouldn't want to come to a place like this. I haven't had that. Um, One of the things that I worry about is because we do focus on teaching, I've heard, again, I don't know how representative this is, but a few people saying that it would be advantageous to do the visiting professor because then you're really kind of focusing on the teaching you get that experience, which I think is true. But the problem is, is that at least the people that I know, you get like zero research done because mm-hmm. oftentimes those um, visiting professor um, gigs are, you're, you're on a 4-4, four, four, so you're teaching four classes each semester. You're just going to be there for like a year, maybe two at the most, um, to get your research lab up and running, to you know have time to run 
write, to have time to publish, that's like, yeah, you get to signal the, the teaching side of it, but just like zero on the research side. So unless you were just superstar publishing all over the place in, in grad school, I feel like that's going to be a bigger cost than any advantage you'd get from, hey, you you taught. But again, maybe, maybe if it was somebody who it's like, oh, no, they got a bunch of pubs, but they have zero teaching experience, that could be beneficial for that person. But that just seems yeah. less common, at least the, in the experiences that I've had. But So that's my worry with people taking the visiting professor uh, positions. Yeah, I think another concern, and it might be different for different positions, but I think often those visiting positions kind of are dangled out and they're like, well, you know, maybe we can extend this. So then the pressure is on you. And I remember feeling this like acutely, I need to make myself invaluable to this department because I want mm-hmm. to hopefully extend this. I know I'm still applying elsewhere right and ultimately i wound up elsewhere but i need to do as much as i can to invest here which is another thing that kind of detracts from research and can also detract from teaching because then you start tipping over into service or mentoring students or getting involved in other ways um whereas maybe if you had two years that's a little more stretched out and with a postdoc for sure like you don't have that same sort of investment yeah yeah i mean i think um I think it's fair to say that in getting a job, the thing that sort of takes priority are your research chops. Uh, Like no one or I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, I don't think anyone goes on a job interview and only gives a teaching talk. Uh, You might give both. Like, uh, Like so you might give your research talk and you might also like teach a lecture. But but in that case, like you're doing both. And certainly you are always giving your research talk. Like that is sort of the primary thing. Uh, even I mean, for us as well, that, that's the primary thing that we're evaluating on the interview is, is your is your research talk. And so I, I think I would say a postdoc is probably again, like a two year, a one year might be workable, but like a two year, I, I think is a better situation where you can work on those research chops because that is still like the primary avenue uh, that, that gets valued for for these types of, of jobs. Um, but I, I also agree with, with what you said, like if you are coming out of a PhD and you have absolutely no teaching experience, like, you know, you've got you've got the 16 pubs, uh, but you have no teaching experience, then then you might think about like shoring up that that teaching um that that uh that's sort of missing there i agree (laughs) well said good job (laughs) all right well any last uh bits of advice for people who are on the job market right now I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, keep your head up. The existential terror does die down a little bit after a while. And celebrate when you're done. Definitely celebrate. Celebrate getting celebrate getting like an interview offer. Ce- mm-hmm. Like celebrate oh, yeah. every step of the way because you have to store up those kernels of, yeah. of joy for like the long cold winter of disappointment. Yeah. And the other, I mean, there's another thing that's obvious, but even the people who get jobs, the vast majority of places are rejecting us anyway. So getting rejected is completely yeah. the norm, the majority, the everything like that. So. And then 50 applications, yeah. three interviews, one offer. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I this is building on what you were saying earlier about worrying too much, like how you're coming across. I would say to the extent you can, don't try to guess what everyone's thinking because mm. you'll drive yourself crazy. So like I, I went through the whole thing of, well, they didn't tell me they got the application. How do I know they got the application? And then all the way through the whole process to being on site and being like, oh, I, I said um too much. <laughs> and now I'm not going to get the job or whatever it is. So to the extent that you can, turn that voice off and just try to power through. And also realize that, I mean, a lot of the process is random. A lot of the process is out of your control. And so, you know, you put your materials together the best way you can. You get as much feedback as you can. You take your best shot. And then after that, it's just up to, you know, the random whims of the universe, which is maybe encouraging or maybe like super disappointing or like super discouraging to people. On that note, (laughs) on that super encouraging note, uh, well, thank you for listening. Hopefully some of this information was um, helpful. And told you I was going to be the nihilist this episode. You did say that. We believe in nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening, and we'll talk with you next time. Thank you for listening to Marginally Significant. We'd love to hear if you have comments, questions, or any feedback about today's episode. You can message us on Twitter at MarginallySig. Our email address is MarginallySig at gmail.com. And there's a contact form on our website, which is MarginallySig.com. However you contact us, we'll be sure to reply. Uh, If you're interested in supporting the show, we'd also love getting reviews on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Finally, uh, you can post about the show on Twitter, Facebook, or any other social social media platform that you use. However you support the show, we really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.